Welcome to Spotlights, the podcast for the domestic abuse sector. In this series, Socialise is shining a spotlight on lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans plus people experiencing domestic abuse. We know that LGBT people are hugely underrepresented in domestic abuse figures. There are several reasons for this, but it is acknowledged that part of the problem is the relationship between the police and LGBT communities. With this in mind, my colleague Maria Hartshorn went to Hampshire to meet with Chief Inspector Julie Fry to talk about how the Lesbian and Gay Liaison Scheme is helping to build bridges. Today I'm at Hampshire Canary and um, I'm meeting with uh, Chief Inspector Julie Fry. Hello. Hello, pleased to meet you. Thank you for joining me today for this Safe Lives podcast on LGBT. Um, Could you tell me a little bit about your role, please? A little bit about my role. Well, um, as I like to say, in my, in my day job, I am, as you describe, I'm a police officer with Hampshire and Stabbery, um, and I've been for a number of years. Um, but in addition to that, for nearly 20 years now, I've been involved um, with LGBT work, um, both in relation to our service provision within our LAGLO scheme, and that's, yeah. a, that's a brand, and I'm happy to talk to you a little bit more about the LAGLO yeah. scheme later, um, but also in relation to supporting LGBT matters internally with our staff and with managers and, and other colleagues within the force. So it's been an area of experience that I've had um, and one that I really enjoy and has taken me into the rounds within hate crime, but also more latterly mm-hmm. looking at that specific um, world of domestic abuse and violence. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, do you feel the police and LGBT individuals have historically had a positive relationship? I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think particularly um, recently where we've seen certain anniversaries um, of uh, wild blood um, and the SOE and the... Um, offences against old money, homosexuality. So you and I will go back a number of years and think that actually policing um, actively targeted gay men. Um, And that was under the whole Historic Sexual Offences Homosexuality Act um, and um, clearly, clearly burnt a number of prisoners with that community. Um, So we would see some some dreadful outcomes um, with that police um, intervention. So the Sexual Offences Act of 2003, I think it was, saw that whole um, levelling of the playing field where it was no longer gender-specific in relation to how it worked. And with it came the removal of some of those really anarchic um, offences. Um, that was a, a great opportunity to work closer then with our LGBT colleagues. Um, so yeah, I think over the years we've certainly um, not done ourselves any favours within the LGBT communities. Um, if we ask them now, they'll still um, reminisce about some poor interventions and some poor activities mm-hmm. um, that have happened. Um, certainly um, around nightclubs, certainly around um, post um, nighttime economy and some of the um, behaviours that I think police demonstrated to that community. Mm. Um, so there was the almost the legitimate 
targeting of them because our legislation allowed that to happen yeah. and that legislation remained in place till the mid to late 60s mm-hmm. um, but then we still had the Homosexuality Act and the, some of the archaic offences built within that mm. um, so I think the removal of that certainly saw the opportunity to improve our relationships with them again um, dare I say that when you start talking around public sex environments now we know that public sex environments aren't used um, exclusively by gay men mm-hmm. Um, But equally, again, historically, many, many anecdotal tales of how the police would target that environment to target LGB, potentially T, communities. Mm, Um, And in so doing, would disrupt um, a lot of other people that that use those sites. Um, So we we didn't have a good reputation there. And what's interesting is the LAGLO scheme that I mentioned, which is the Lesbian and Gay Liaison Officer Scheme that was devised in Hampshire in 1996. So we're going back over 20 years. Um, And that was on the back of some work that an inspector then did with Greater Manchester Police. And it is a brand. It is inclusive of the bisexual and the transgender Mm -hmm. community. Um, But obviously, as you can imagine, 22 years ago, um, those elements were not as well developed as okay. the lesbian and gay side of things. Right. And basically that was introduced to complement the aggravated offences that were introduced with racially and religiously aggravated offending. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realised that we hadn't, or the law hadn't complemented that that world with um, homophobic, transphobic and biphobic mm-hmm. hate crimes. So we introduced the LAGLO scheme to support victims and witnesses of the LGBT communities in relation to hate crime. Mm. That's how it started. Um, But actually, um, it morphed considerably um, after its inception in the 90s um, and has developed more and more to include um, a greater working relationship with our LGBT communities. Mm. So that was a long answer to your original question. Yeah, no, it's really helpful. (laughs) Thank you. It's really helpful for me to get an understanding of kind of how things have changed historically and kind of the direction that you you see things moving in now yeah so that's good so have you noticed I mean I know you said that um, you know in in the community that you may still face some um, negativity yeah I think um, and I think again this is going to be in other forces will have a different experience. Sure. Um, so I think, without a shadow of a doubt, I think there are still pockets of our LGBT communities who still um, have been negatively affected by police sure. historically, for one reason or another. Mm. Um, and I think, um, you know, we've travelled quite a distance in quite a short period of time in the grand scheme of things um, to build those bridges better and engage better, um, knowing not dissimilar to domestic abuse, that the LGBT communities will find um, challenges in engaging with policing, Mm. um, be that real or be that perceptional. Um, So we had a lot of work to do in raising awareness around the LGBT communities, which we've worked hard to do in Hampshire. Mm. Um, And without a shadow of a doubt, from a service delivery perspective, and the LAGLO scheme as that brand and that umbrella, um, our reputation out there is pretty good. We're not perfect. Yes, We're not sure. perfect. We will aspire always for perfection. Mm-hmm. But in doing that work, what you also do is um, give people peace of mind and opportunity to actually address service failures when they happen mm-hmm. in a way that potentially they wouldn't have done historically yeah. because they would have felt it's almost a bit like I deserve to be treated this way. The police have just compounded that and actually I've got no right of redress. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, if we get something wrong... 
actually I think the confidence within the LGBT community to engage to redress that is in a better place than, mm. than it was. Mm. So that's good. Yeah, sure. Um, but always we would uh, aspire to um, deliver a really good response to our LGBT communities, mm. knowing that you know there are hidden communities that we have out there that we call hidden communities when in fact it might be a hidden police service right. um, that actually isn't opening its doors yeah. as widely and as um, um, inclusively as it needs to be. And I think we've learned a lot. We've had some good people that have listened well and heard those messages. And, and our reputation certainly, mm. I would say, across police forces is in a good place. Mm. Um, and you know, really, really proud of the work that that Hampshire have done in relation to that work going forward. Yeah, yeah. But always more to do. Yeah, and, and there will be. Do. But it yeah. does sound as though things are moving yeah. positively forward. So, yeah. and so, how do you feel that work um, assists uh, the LGBT community in coming forward when they are experiencing domestic abuse? I think. Um, Okay, I'll, t I'll take a couple of layers back from that. I think that we have promoted our LAGLO scheme, mm. that we um, promote to our LGBT communities that there is um, an additional service experience there. So we have LAGLO officers from across all ranks and grades mm -hmm. in lots and lots of different roles. Um, and what we've basically designed is that those LAGLOs will be tasked and allocated um, work um, in advance now of hate crime. So historically it would have just been victim and witnesses of hate crime. Right. So they would obviously get tasked there, but actually to engage with our LGBT communities better. And as the world of domestic abuse and violence has grown and we've become more aware and astute around some of those additional risk factors, we have developed our LAGLO scheme and our LAGLO service to respond um, to that. Mm. Um, so very much um, it is an expectation within Hampshire Police um, that if we have a domestic abuse um, or violence situation that involves a same-sex couple, a bi couple, um, or someone who identifies LGB or trans, mm. um, then we would deploy and we would task our LAGLO to do a follow-up um, okay. visit with that um, separately couple. So sure. we would, you know, we would be looking at both parties. Mm. But, um, but how would you, how would you know? How would the officers know what they were responding to? Um, at the time, not necessarily. So our first responder may not be the LAGLO. So our first responder, like everything else, would um, go and do a good investigation. And this, this is not me ever saying that my colleagues out there aren't capable of going and delivering a really good service, because yeah. they do. Mm -hmm. You know, 99% of the time they deliver a great service and I think the public really engage with them. This is about that second tier of um, opportunity to support those victims and, and, and possibly perpetrators if they need to be um, channeled, shall we say, into some additional help with our commission services and what commission services provide for LGBT communities is variant. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously we can do performance work and we can extrapolate that data. Quite, it, It's not as... Um, it's not as smooth as we would like it to be always, but if you have an identified victim and perpetrator that identifies same sex, then we will deploy, or transgender, we will deploy a LAGLO to that as an um, enhanced service provision. Mm -hmm. So that person would then go um, and engage with that environment. And when I say that, that could be uh, the, looking at the whole family, what's going on um, for that environment to signpost um, additional service provision. With the view that obviously we don't want it escalating, we don't want it repeating. That's mm. obviously the, mm -hmm. the overall intention to have a good 
um, impact on that. Yeah. And hopefully for those victims to have a conversation with a laglo and somebody who's got that enhanced training mm. to be a little bit more aware of those additional risk factors sure. that exist within that environment yeah. or those challenges or barriers that may exist for them. Yeah. Having a conversation in the first instance. Mm. So there might be things they didn't tell our first responder that they That's tell right. our laglo that unpacks a different risk assessment yeah. and allows us to approach it in a different way um, for a better outcome for all concerned. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I'm not it sure that does. answers your it question. It does. So, so from, it sounds as though that um, you know that you've got the the initial investigation yeah. where an officer may attend um, that won't necessarily be a laglo mm -hmm. um, and have those um, specific skills required to mm -hmm. understand what the LGBT mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. um, need when experiencing yeah. domestic abuse, and then the secondary investigation will involve more kind of unpicking yeah. the background and what's been happening for those yeah. individuals yeah. to see what um, targeted support can be put in place for them to help address their needs at that time and that's when the laglo goes in yes. and um, explains what services there are available for yeah. those people yeah. and do you find that that's been um, that that's encouraged more of the LGBT community to come forward? I think that would be an interesting data set to, um, to capture. I think ultimately um, the professional judgment is saying yes. Mm -hmm. I think where it's really demonstrated a benefit is when we have worked with our safeguarding colleagues in investigations um, to enhance their knowledge and awareness and insight around LGBT matters, that yeah. additional risk is the increased insight to those risk assessments. So the uh, tasking process, if you like, to the laglows and the engagements with the laglows has increased. Right. So that is a definite uh, measurable feast that right. we have seen as okay. a result of the, of the sessions that we've delivered. In addition to that, you know, when we have those high risk or as some people like to describe it, the high, high risks, mm -hmm. um, we can then look at joint safeguarding visits and right. we can look at joint interventions with the, the required skill set mm. you know I think we're past I'd like to think we're past that time where um, people work in that isolated environment where they think they know everything about every issue mm. and actually to share that skill set in a productive way um, pays dividends so yeah. we, we, we've got experiences where it's required that we will draft um, more experienced laglows in to work with those safeguarding um, officers mm. to do that intervention together right which is good yeah, definitely. So is that, a, as you were describing then, um, the risk assessment, is, is that a, a tool that they use and is that bespoke to the LGBT yes. community? So you have your general um, risk assessment that every force you use to a different level on the basis of the DASH yes. um, kind of principle. Um, and all our responding officers will um, complete that. Then what happens is where we then identify that the um, victim identifies LGBT, um, the LAGLO will be tasked and the LAGLO will go in and do an enhanced risk assessment form, mm. which has specific um, criteria and specific questions that they will want to speak to the victim about. Okay. Um, obviously, again, and you'll know this world far, far better than myself, but when you have this conversation about co-perpetration, mm. um, which some people don't like that word, which I totally understand, but when you've got a situation where you have um, various allegations from offender and victim, mm. actually having the ability to go in there and really 
unpick the situation and ask what are really difficult questions yes. of those people um, in an informed way mm. where you are talking and listening to somebody that kind of gets it mm. means that you can elicit that information in a far more professional confident way yeah. that ultimately what we're all trying to achieve is that service provision to that victim and as I say that it doesn't rank up that it doesn't escalate that we don't get repeats and actually we have a good intervention mm. um but yeah, so it's it, yeah, it's um, I'm quite I'm extremely positive about what we've seen early doors about that work mm. um, and the opportunities that it demonstrates going forward mm. because that whole awareness raising within our safeguarding teams, which initially start our MASH, so our multi agency safeguarding hubs, yeah. um, with a view to um, offering some of our other partners mm. that awareness raising opportunity mm. as well. Taking opportunities outside of re- responding to an, a crime mm. where we can engage with those communities to raise profile, to market. Absolutely. I mean, let's face it, hate crime and domestic abuse are two of the few areas of police business that we actively encourage mm. more reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, because we know we haven't got the true picture. We know, you know, there's so much under-reporting going on. Um, but there isn't... Well, I would hope not, but I wouldn't think there's a police officer that would sit there and say, we've got a true and accurate picture yet of domestic abuse and violence mm-hmm. and hate crime, Mm-mm. both of which affect our LGBT communities in a way that we know they are inhibited coming forward still. So yeah. we want to encourage that increased reporting. We want to get the recording right. We want to get the response to that right. Yeah, okay. Um, so in order to understand how severe the issue yeah. is and to, to get that directed support, yeah. you need to understand... How, how you measure that yeah. the problem if you yeah. like yeah and um, yeah for whatever reason it, it still is or certainly still appears to um, be a challenge for some of our um, communities to come forward and engage with us um, and it's right and proper that we understand that and it's right and proper that we would respond to that in a in a positive way mm-hmm. um, and I think you know I we've you've never done it have you you've never signed off on it there's always more to learn, right. um, and particularly with our communities coming through now, our young people that are coming through now, and um, some of the expectations they have, um, and they expect us to be on it. They expect us to get it, and they expect us to get it quickly, mm. um, and may not be as patient um, as some of our other communities in relation to that. So we really have to have that insight. We really mm. have to be quite um, astute around you know that level of need and mm. responding to it. Yeah, you know, mm. it's that. Whole Grinder stuff, that whole social media stuff, the whole way young people meet and engage, risk-taking, safeguarding stuff, all that stuff. And we've just got to really be on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of um, new um, methods of mm-hmm. communication and meeting out there that can potentially open people up to, to other sort of safeguarding yeah. issues as well. So uh, leading on from that, how do you feel... Um, not coming forward places the LGBT community at, at any further risk of domestic abuse? I think, I kind of think it's twofold really. So on an individualistic basis, isn't it, that we would always want our victims to come forward. We yeah. recognise the inhibitors that prevent that. Well, we recognise to a degree because I'm sure there's a lot we don't know. Um, so we, we, we would want that because we would want that cycle of abuse to stop for that person. Mm-hmm. We, want them, we would want them to be in a healthy, safe environment 
Um, and we would want to be able to share what we could to make that happen for that person. Mm. So we would always want that to come forward. But also encouraging LGBT communities to come forward. One, because we get a better, truer, richer picture of what is going on. Mm. And if there is that demand and that need, then actually our services need to step up to provide a response to that. Mm. Because we know, you know, if you're a, a, a lesbian victim, a gay male victim, um, a trans victim, bi victim, that you then have additional um, challenges faced in relation to how the commission services provide a service for you. Mm. Um, you know, are there refuge respite opportunities for you? Does that become more difficult? Um, certainly with the trans community, you know, really genuinely, it's that understanding and around um, an apt for many people a reluctance to share their gender history coming forward and trusting that professional with that confidential information that prevents them coming to us yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And we need to be able to get that right yeah. to build up a, a picture and the ability to um, do a good job so that we continue to do a good job for that community going forward. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of twofold. One, very individualistic. We would want to see that person's life experience change mm. for the better. Two, gives us a better picture that we can then demand from our commission providers that services change yeah. and increase and improve and are more inclusive. Yeah. And that we start to ask that questions and that demographic around what is happening to our victim base out there yeah. and our perpetrator base. And they are families, you know, that you've got that whole unit mm -mm. Um, that we know will be impacted by yeah. that scenario and yeah. how we can work better, more holistically with that, mm. I think. Mm. So looking to the future then, what, what um, initiatives are in place to, to support this community? And I think, and I, I can speak from the, very much from the Hampshire perspective at the moment, um, you know, we've, we've been really fortunate to, so our Laglo scheme, so we have around about 100 Laglos. Okay. Um, and we're not an emergency response. We wouldn't describe ourselves as an emergency response. Um, we very much are a secondary tailored service to provide. Um, we could be an emergency response, obviously, if we need to be. So if you mm -hmm. can imagine, if anything ever happened of a high level, 24-7, yeah. there will be people on duty. And they are a moving asset, so we can move them across uh, district lines and we've got that agreement with right. the organization so the fact we've got the laglos is a, is a great mm. um a great asset mm. to this um to this force and to our communities no doubt about it mm. um we have laglo representation so we have lgbt representation on our silver sex offenses our domestic abuse um boards so it has a voice mm -hmm. Recent, recent work that we've done has been with our safeguarding teams, as I've described. Yeah. So we've gone in and we've done two and a half hour um, awareness raising sessions mm -hmm. um, and introduced uh, a bespoke uh, process for the safeguarding and the MASH teams there mm -hmm. to look at that additional risk and to put that layer on top. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we work very closely now and in my I am currently seconded to Hampshire County Council, working with their Supporting Families Programme. Mm -hmm. So in addition to that, I get the opportunity to work with our commission providers. Mm -hmm. So I've been in a really fortunate place to start asking some questions in relation to how they capture mm -hmm. and how they inform within that community. Um, again, always promoting and marketing. So recently we had a, um, a county conference on domestic abuse for hidden victims. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I was asked to come along and do a keynote, keynote speech there. So that, again, raises the profile of the Laglows, not only to other professionals, but also to our communities. Um, we do. We do a lot of outreach. So we do events. So we will go to Pride. We will go to um, educational premises. So we will go in and uh, work with younger people. Um, and particularly, um, you know, historically it was the basis around the hate crime but we do get involved in bullying and we do get involved with you know lgbt student college services mm. in so much as the laglos will pick those up mm -hmm. from their tasking and coordinating so we we do engage well with our um, educationalists mm. um, and our schools um, across the piece to, for that healthier relationship yeah. um, and that understanding um so yeah, they, they are the main initiatives. We are sharing that work with um, our colleagues from Thames Valley. Um, so that's that's really, really important. And we will always um, link in with that national picture. Mm. So there is a, um, there's a national LGBT police network. Um, and there's some really, really good work going on there. Um, one of my colleagues um, in Merseyside is um, doing quite a significant piece of work around um, domestic abuse and hate crime um, as well. So there are pockets of really good stuff going on. Yeah. And like everything, you would want there to be a level of standardisation, yeah. a level of understanding and recognition. Um, actually getting that consistency across Hampshire is tough. Mm. Um, to get it regionally and then nationally... Mm. Um, is a challenge, but it's yeah. a, a challenge that many people are happy to yeah. embrace and, and, and take forward and share. Mm. You know, always, always happy to share the bits that work, the bits that don't work yeah. so much. Because it's quite strange, I suppose, isn't it? If I was starting this work now, it would look differently to what it did when we started 22 years ago mm. with that legacy. Because mm. we've got a lot of legacy there yeah. and a lot of, uh, and quite a big footprint. Um, and for many people, starting now, it would be quite straightforward because they would just come along to us and say, what have you done? How did you do it? What worked? What didn't? Mm. Um, going forward. But it's really it's really good to hear that other forces want the information. They yeah. want you to go in, i.e. me, to, to go and have those conversations with those mm. units um, to come and shadow the input so that they can, they can take it away and, yeah. and, and work with theirs. It's really important to embed it as business as usual as well, that mm. um, the additional tailored service isn't seen as a bolt-on. Absolutely. That it's yeah. seen as business as usual, that it yeah. is common parlance that we all go along, we all have that conversation. Yes. Well, it's a, it's a mindset, isn't yeah. it? It's about yeah. adopting a positive mindset yeah. when dealing with all members of, yeah. of the community. Yeah. And, and LGBT must be incorporated within yeah. that. And, rec and, and kind of, I suppose, just lifting your head up above the form sometimes and recognising, actually, there might just be an additional something going on here. Yeah. Um, because we have... For most of it, tailored our service provision around regular domestic profiles, haven't we? Which is your male and female partner, you know, 2.4 children, whatever it is, yeah, and actually developing beyond that. True, because you know, you mentioned something actually before when we were speaking before I started recording that you know, none too often, um, an assumption's made about mm -hmm. a relationship, mm -hmm. and when you get a man yeah. and a woman, the assumption is that that mm -hmm. and, and there's been violence, mm -hmm. the assumption is that that was domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you get two men fighting, yep, that's exactly what it is a mm -hmm. fight, a pub mm -hmm. fight, or something, mm -hmm. and domestic violence isn't really kind that's of explored it. at that yeah. time. Yeah, very so much that, so. That's a real concern, isn't yeah. it? And, the, and again, it is. It's just about planting that seed that it's not all 
as our what do, what do, what do we generally call it? We generally would say um, you know the society's perception being that everybody's heterosexual until proven otherwise. So mm. there is that that yeah. trend. Um, and so when you do, you're out on that Saturday night patrol and you see two people, two men fighting. Yeah. Um, and it's written up as a public order dispute because it is where it is and nobody has considered that it could be. Mm. Nobody's asked those questions or yeah. certainly, you know, they may not have told us that information. Why would they, Absolutely. for example? Yeah. example. Yeah. Um, but and then just if, that if insight. If an officer turns up at a, um, a arm between a man and a woman... You know, the first thing, assuming the female was the victim, the first mm. thing she sa- says is not going to be, mm. you know, hit, we're in a sexual relationship. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It, it makes sense, doesn't mm. it, that, that um, there's a requirement there to to just be mindful of um, blocks to mm. reporting yeah. and um, the t- individual challenges that a person may face mm-hmm. and them not wanting to necessarily come right out and say, you know, I, I'm actually the victim of yeah. abuse, yeah. My, my partner is harming me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that requires more understanding, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. More sensitivity. And it's, um, it is about that enlightening, because, you know, with the greatest will in the world, most people are quite straightforward. Mm. Um, and they're exposed to what they're exposed to, them like, socialised with like. Mm. Um, and for some people, still today, you know, they haven't had the need to experience or think about this perception. Mm. Um, and the fact that the communities are slightly broader than the one they live in. Yeah. Um, but actually, we're, we're a service you know, we have to provide that service and Jolly Well should provide that, that service without prejudice and without favour. Um, and we need to be more inclusive mm. and we need to promote the good stuff that we do that encourages people to come forward that know that we can be trusted with that information mm. um, and have a genuine desire to want to support and signpost those people to a better future. Um, so I also think, you know, there are some... There have been some really, really good people in my organisation that have really supported um, that happening. And we're really lucky as well. We've got, we've got a, a fabulous volunteer working alongside the Laglo scheme who, in their day job, is a domestic abuse coordinator mm-hmm. um, who has a really good level of experience um, on LGBT matters who, because of their profile, is able to um, share good practice here and bring in other good practice. So one of the areas um, specifically was around the Marrick representation, knowing that, you know, if you listen to um, various statistics or statistical data that in the UK we're looking at anything from 8 to 12% of the population identifying as LGBT, yet our representation on Marrick's is less than 1%. Mm. When they, they work nationally, they sat there thinking it should be anything from 5 to 6. So it's less than 1%. So is it not happening? Probably not. Is it not being reported? Mm. That's probably more likely. It's yeah. probably less likely that people are coming forward and telling us about it. So how do we... Or indeed, is it being identified? So if it gets reported, mm. are those people identifying it? And then the service provision and what we do and respond and how we respond, will that fit and be tailored to their needs? Mm. Um, so that you know that's quite important as well, our merit representation. And, and are we, we're clearly missing a trick there because we should be safeguarding those relationships yeah. in the same way that we safeguard others. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just wondering how, if somebody was listening to this podcast, perhaps from another agency, 
or indeed a, a person who's experiencing domestic abuse themselves, how they would get in touch with the LAGLO? The LAGLO scheme, in, in simple forms, the same way you're going to get in touch with the police per se, we, yeah. would, we would always direct you to your non-emergency 101 mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. if it is a non-emergency. Yeah. Obviously, if it is an emergency and it's happening now, that would be a treble nine. Yeah. Um, so you would engage with them um, in that same way. And it, obviously, if it if you are a member of the LGBT community and something is happening now for you, mm. you would get a first responder who would come. But actually, if you specifically say, actually, there are issues that I feel a laglo can help with, yeah. they would then attach a laglo and task a laglo to complement that investigation. Okay. Equally, if it's just a member of our public, our LGBT community, who wants some advice and wants some guidance, contact the 101 number um, in Hampshire and say that they'd like to speak to a laglo. That message will get tasked to a laglo. And as again, as I say, it's not an emergency service. So, you know, it's going to be after 24 hours, mm. probably, and they will get that contact and yeah. then that laglo will be able to help them with whatever their specific need is. And we would, we would positively encourage that and anything that we can do to promote um, and market the work that we do here with a view to supporting the communities will always yeah. be a great opportunity really. yeah. well, this is why this is as well yeah and it sounds as though that that support would extend to agencies yes other domestic yes. abuse agencies that are supporting those because agencies. obviously sorry yeah you said the partners as well yeah. so um yes to sweep up the partners is we work really closely with partners so mm. our laglo training mm. we have actually had multi-agency training where we have delivered to some of children's services, um, some of our yacht cohort. Um, so we're always inclusive and welcoming that. Um, and again, um, we have quite a well-known um, network within the constabulary. Um, we have internet, we have external facing, and we have internal facing. And we regularly get conversations from, you know, be it local authority professionals, health professionals, to engage with us to either look at specific um, targeted work with the LGBT communities mm. in conjunction with us um, or to go and support them internally with awareness raising right. um, and okay. we've done quite a bit of that over the years um, mm. Yeah, and you have some of the most enlightening conversations that you can imagine with people in relation to that and who often sit there and say why am I talking to police about this mm. and it's quite true isn't it mm. As a, in policing you deal with everything you deal with absolutely everything 24-7 and because you have a society that isn't going to wait for you to catch up, you've got to be on it. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to, to speak to You're us. You're welcome. Um, yeah, I feel as though I've sort of gained a, a good understanding of, of what goes on here. Good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very positive. Fabulous. Thank you. Fabulous, thank you. Thank you.